Welcome to another episode where we have uh, an incredibly special guest tonight. Obviously, in the world of rugby at the moment, there's only one thing to talk about, and that is the Springbok versus the British and Irish Lions series, which is at the centre of all of our attention. And it brings me great joy to be able to sit down with a former Springbok legend who has indeed been part of this series before. Today's guest grew up in Harare, Zimbabwe, and went to Churchill School before going on to play for Rhodesia in the Curry Cup. He went on to play for Transvaal, now known as the Lions, as well as Northern Transvaal, commonly known as the Bulls nowadays. And he was selected for, for the Springboks, where he went on to play 18 test matches and was the first ever Springbok to score a hat-trick against the All Blacks. I'd like to welcome Ray Mort. Ray, what, a, what an honor to be able to chat to you. How are you keeping and uh, what are you up to these days, Ray? Um, Richard, thank you. And it's, it's nice to be on your chat. Yeah, I'm fine, Rich. I'm fine through all this virus and COVID the world has had. And, and particularly in South Africa here yeah, where we didn't handle it that as well as we could have. But things are getting better. It's fine. My, you know, um, I've, my businesses are going quite well. I've got my engineering business, in, in, uh, which I've had for 30 years. It's actually nice to say I've got Peter Hendricks working for me, the winger, the World Cup winger, 95 <laughs> winner for the World Cup. Um, so he's been with me 27, 28 years. He's done a hell of a nice job. It allows me to uh, relax a little bit. And then, of course, you know, I've got a couple of restaurants in Cape Town, you know, um, which, of course, as we know, through these, this last year or so, has taken, uh, taken some flack, but we, we, we're living. And otherwise, health-wise and everything, good, um, happy, just keep training, uh, play lots of golf, uh, love to see my mates. And, um, yeah, I have to be honest, I don't watch as much rugby as I used to. Because it's changed, uh, it's changed a lot. But uh, this, as you mentioned, the British Lions and Irish uh, Test versus South Africa. This is a very big interest, and uh, as we know, one of the tests have already gone by, and we've still got another two exciting tests coming up. So, um, all good, all good, Rick. Awesome, Ray, and and obviously um, the tests, as you mentioned, are being played in Cape Town. You were born in in Cape Town and grew up yeah. in Harare where you later went on to attend Churchill School. You were very sporty as a youngster. You were a top sprinter. You played baseball for your country. And you were a gifted footballer in your youth as well. You came from a very sporty family. Your brothers Jeff, Norman, and uh, Hawken all played rugby for Rhodesia or Zimbabwe. And your nephew, Niels, has also donned the England Sevens jersey as well as having played for Saracens. Please, Ray, just sort of touch on your childhood in, in Zimbabwe and kind of how you, you ended up getting into rugby. Yeah, look, I must say, you know, um, that's quite nice. You know, look, yeah, we were brought up um, in Rhodesia, Zimbabwe. I suppose we were the progress of changing to Zim. But uh, we had an incredible uh, upbringing. You know, uh, the lifestyle was free and open those days as a youngster. So, you know, you used to leave home when we were five, well, six, seven, eight years old. And if we, we, if we got home by six o'clock, our parents were happy if they never saw us for the whole day. And that's how it was. You know, there was no worry where you are. They knew we were playing somewhere out in the, in the flay or, or with friends. 
but it was an amazing upbringing. I come from a very, a very uh, ordinary home. We never had everything in our lives, but we always had love, warmth, and food, and and um, it, it, getting brought up with four brothers. I'm being the third one, you know. So you've got your two older brothers, which toughen you up, which probably helped my rugby down the line. I don't know what happened to Hawken, because he should have been the toughest of all of us. And so, yeah, and then, you know, I went to David Livingston Junior School and I was pretty good at sport and I won the Victor Lodorum, uh, you know, um, humbly I won the Victor Lodorum every year and, uh, until I left uh, junior school. I went into high school where I went into Churchill School and that's where I was introduced to rugby, actually. I hadn't played rugby um, until, I, until I was 13 years old and, um, geez, and I used to watch Norman and Jeff play. Um, when they were Churchill, because um, they were, of course, senior and older than me. So I used to watch them play. And uh, I did play some soccer, as you mentioned. I was also playing soccer at the time for Cali's club uh, with a lot of good friends of mine, uh, Bajishera in particular. And I loved my soccer, probably not as, as, as good as some of my mates were, but um, I always had a bit of pace and I was quick. And uh, under 13, I was introduced uh, to rugby, um, and the under-13 coach, Mr. Greenwood, um, he had a kicking competition, which we would kick for poles. That was the start of the season for under-13s, and I was kicking the ball. And I won that brand-new ball. I came home with one of those brand-new leather springbok balls, which I won because I was the best kick in under-13s. And that's where my rugby career started. I just loved it. I just took to it immediately. And, you know, as we went through, I won the 100 metres uh, at under-15 again, uh, which was very important. And then, well, in under-15, it was quite nice. We had a, a coach called Doc Harris. And um, he saw something in me, uh, Doc Harris, because, you know, he used to say to the guys, anyone who can tackle this guy, I'm going to give you a coat. While I was running with the ball, he used to shout to the, the rest of the players, anyone tackle him, give you... So um, uh, that was a lot of fun. And then when I, turned, when I went to under-16, they used to have an under-16 team, but I went straight into the first team. And that's where I played. I only played one year first team. I wasn't the greatest scholar. Uh, I think, I think um, the teachers loved me out in the field, whatever I was doing out in the field and playing baseball, which, as you're right, I played baseball for my country and I played under-16 and I played, made an essay under-14 under, uh, side because we had inter-provincial year, which Nas Boerter was also involved in, uh, in South Africa. But... Um, so I started my rugby career um, in Churchill, one year first team. And then um, just before I was 17, I left school, uh, went and uh, did started a trade. And um, I joined Harare Sports Club. And I played first team with Norman, uh, who was a lot older than me. I went straight into the first team as a 17-year-old, which was tremendous. And it's quite interesting, Richard. And then I got picked to play for the under-20 trials. Uh, for Rhodesian under 20, uh, Mashonaland under 20 trials, Mashonaland, um, which I was picked for. And then I went to uh, play trials for Rhodesia under 20. And in that trials, I actually hurt my knee quite badly. I snapped my uh, cruciate ligament and my cartilage. And, though, and then I went into hospital um, those days. That was kind of the end of my career now, 17 years old. And I went into hospital. In those days, a cartilage operation used to, used to stay in hospital for a week. You know, today, you're out in the day. Uh, and they never fixed my ligament. And in that time, I um, went to the army. Uh, and uh, we had to do our national service, 
that was 1975. I had to go down to Bulawayo and do our six weeks there. And then I told them I would become a regular, which I never did, and got back here to Harare and I joined the Rhodesian Light Infantry. What happened there is uh, I played some inter-commander rugby and I, I never knew I was going to play again. Now, this is, this is like 18 months on from, because in my intake, we were only supposed to do nine months. We ended up doing 18 months because if you look in the history books, the warfare and the terrorist warfare got really bad in 1976. So my intake was 146. We had to stay on another nine months. And I ended up doing 22 months in the army. Uh, and in that time, we, I said, you know, they had an interprovincial, not an interprovincial, intercommander rugby competition and, at, at RLI. And um, there's one commander, two commander, three commander, and support group. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll play a few guys. And I played eighth man. And uh, the people said, well, who's this guy? Because I, I thought I was never going to play against. So that's how things worked. I thought my rugby career was over. Anyway, and I played really well there. And um, after finishing the army, it's quite interesting. I went, a very good friend of mine was Neville Fonikirk, who played for Rhodesia, front row, tight head prop. I ended up going to play for, for the police club, where Danny Dalport was, Keith Dalport, some of the great players, Rock Stewart. So I went down and played for them, and I was training in the preseason with them. And after three weeks of training, they called me out in front of about 400 people and said, you're not welcome here. Uh, and I said, well, what's the problem? They said, no, you've got too many assault charges against you. Because we were quite boisterous, <laughs> we were quite boisterous in town, and naughty, and used to fight. I suppose as part of growing up. And um, so I left the club and I went to sports club, Harare Sports Club, and that's where my career started. And I started, and that same year I started. I played for in that same year I played for Rhodesia and a twenty. It was nineteen seventy-seven. Now, in that year I played for Rhodesia and a twenty. In the same year, um, Alan Sutherland. The New Zealander eighth man, all black, that played in the 1976 uh, series against the Springboks here, who eventually married Vera Johns. Alan Sutherland decided to stay over because he had fallen in love with Vera. And he came to captain the Zimbabwean side at that time, and he was our captain. And Danny Dalport, who was one of our great, great wings, was stuck in service in the bush. He was out in the bush in the army, and he couldn't get back for this particular game against Western Province. And actually, Alan Sutherland went to the selectors and said, I want that youngster, Mort, to play in the, in, the, in, in the side. That's the guy you must select. And they said, no, but he's too young. And he's only had three games for the under-20s. He said, that's the guy I want. And, and that's how I actually got picked. So, you know, Alan actually, uh, he went to the selectors and told them, Alan Sutherland. And he was like our player coach. Big, massive man. And uh, what's quite interesting, my first game was against Western Province. Now, Western Province had Mornay Duplessis. They had uh, Flippy van der Merwe, a young Flippy van der Merwe, Devon Serfontein, Bossy Clark, uh, Robbie Blair, Peter Whip, uh, Darby Snayman was still playing. Willard Kutsia was still playing. These are big names. These are all Springboks. So they had a massive team. And we were playing down in, in Arari at the police grounds. And I'd been picked for this game. I was as nervous as, as, as you could. You can't believe how nervous I was. I remember in the change rooms, we had the little change rooms, not like today, it's modern. And Alan Sutherland, this massive New Zealander, he, his mouth was very dry and he had white stuff coming at, at the side of his lips. Yeah. And he turned around and he started screaming at us just before the game. And that, we had a packed crowd there. A packed crowd, there was like 22, 24,000 people, but it felt like 100,000. 
And he started screaming at us. And I thought to myself, geez, I'd rather go back to the under 20s because this is too much pressure. Because he basically told us we're going to be a pack of dogs, wild dogs out there. And let me tell you something. One of you don't follow me. One of you, he said, and I'll kick you off this field. So we went out there. We were wild. And anyhow, we, the, the nice thing is that Doc Craven was coaching the Western Province at that time. Uh, and he was, he's, he's the man of South African rugby, Dr. Craven. Well, he's, he was like the legend of I, the IRB as well. He was a very highly respected guy. Anyway, I played that day and um, we beat them 18-9. It was like the first time we'd beaten them in 37 years. And I scored a, a, a really nice try from inside my own half. I scored a try. I didn't even know who I was scoring it against, all these, these famous names. And it was kind of the start of my career. And um, I remember reading in the paper, Doc Craven put in something in the paper and he said, today I've seen a springbok. And, wow. you know, that, 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 that's what happened there. And um, I played one more game for Rhodesia and then Danny Dalport came back from the bush and I got dropped back to the under-20s. And then what happened is um, Eric Barrett got injured and my mentor was Ian Robertson. Ian Robertson was a big mentor of mine. He helped me and coached me and I went to him for discipline and he's a highly disciplined guy. And um, he basically told me, uh, you know, you, I'll help you. But, you know, Ian was like this. He'd say, I've had a lot of clowns like you. I've seen what you're capable of doing. Miss one practice, be late, and then don't bother coming back. So I had to change my whole life instead of going out with my mates and drinking. I had to go out and make sure I go to bed and get, to, get there on time because now rugby was my passion. It's something that I really gripped on. As I said earlier, I wasn't a great scholar and I'd find something that, I had a passion about, and that's important for people out there. You know, when you find that passion, it's amazing how much you can give to it. And so Ian being my mentor, he came to me because Eric Barrett was on the other wing, a great rugby player, as we all know, one of our greats, Danny Dalton, Eric Barrett. And Eric twisted his ankle and he was in, had an ankle injury. And Ian came to me and said, they're going to ask you if you can play left wing. You just tell them yes. And that's exactly what happened. And that's the start of my career because I played about – I played about 30 games on the left wing, where I love the right wing. It's quite a it's quite a difference. Today you just play both, but I played about 30 games for uh, Zim, Zimbabwe, Rhodesia on, on the on the left wing, and that's basically how my career started. We kind of, oh, I'm pretty happy, I guess, that you chose the sport rugby because jumped out at me earlier. There was, you know, you went to David Livingston School, and you played football for what was then Salisbury Callies. And yes. another famous person did exactly that. And his name was uh, Bruce Grobbler. So I thought for a moment you were going to tell us that, you know, you, you might have ended up playing football. But, you know, just some key points to touch on. And, and we're very grateful that you played for Zim and ultimately the Springboks. But from a very reliable source, you made your first 15 debut in Form 4. You were the kicker on the back of some, uh, some competition victories early on in your Churchill career. And when you played at Prince Edward, your Form 4 year, you played 1-3. No, so that must have been unbelievable to get one over the PE boys. I remember that, which we played PE. We weren't, I must say, we weren't a great side. I think we, Butfik, uh, Butfik who's in Australia now, and Pete LaRue, who's down in Maritzburg, I think he's still there. They were my seniors and captains and... I, mean, I, I was very privileged to play with some of those guys, and we had a we had a nice side, but we weren't the best side. What was was lovely, um, we played PE, and I remember scoring 
two pretty good tries at, at down at the PE ground, and yeah, we didn't we didn't lose them. We played three one three, but um, uh, we weren't unbeaten or anything like that. I mean, uh, Norman, my brother, and Hawken, both of them played in unbeaten Churchill sides, which was which was brilliant. But it was just uh, it was magnificent. But PE was our biggest challenge always those years, and uh, it was nice to get one over them. And we still have a lot of banter today with all the boys, which is which is lovely, you know. Fantastic. And you've mentioned some of these these brilliant eras uh, of Rhodesia and Zimbabwe rugby. And Zimbabwe has produced some of the finest rugby players around. David Pocock, Tendaim Tawarira, Tonda Ashavanga. Um, the latter have both gone on to represent South Africa, like yourself. But I'd like to talk a little bit more about another Zimbabwean rugby legend who you, you mentioned briefly there, Ian Robertson. What was he like as a man, as a player? And if you wouldn't mind delving into your tales of, you know, the OH and sports club days. Yeah, yeah. So, so what happened is, you know, um, we, what happened is I was playing for, after I was asked for, from the police club to, you're not welcome here, I went and joined sports club. And we ended up playing the Green Machine. In those days, it was called the Green Machine, the older reasons. And uh, Believe me, they were. They used to have sometimes at, at one time 13, 14 players that played for Rhodesia uh, in that side. And um, many times they've beaten Tuckies, they've beaten Stellenbosch, they've beaten Villagers. These are the top teams. They've beaten Schimlers. These are the top club sides in South Africa uh, that shows you how good that side was. But it was packed with with incredible talent, with the talents of, you know, of, 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 of just, I'll come back to Ian now, but it, it's the talents of a Brian Murphy, a Des Christian, a Blondie Harris, a Eric Barrett, um, you know, Mike Banfield, uh, the, the Robertson brothers, um, they, they played up in the, in the forwards. So um, it was a great side. But anyhow, we played them at Ports Club and we got beaten by them. And uh, uh, Nick Topping, who's a, a great guy and great friend of mine, um, one of the players got injured and he had to come on the wing and I was playing wing and he scored two tries against me. So it was always a bit of banter that, you know, a loose forward came there and scored two tries against me. He said, he calls me Lighty. Do you remember that, Lighty? So anyway, that's when I uh, phoned up Ian Robertson. I phoned him up, Mr. Robertson, please, can I see you? And that's when I spoke to Ian and that's when he allowed me to come in and train with him. But he, he set the parameters down and he said, right, that's it. And he told me, he said to me, I've seen you, you're fast, you're strong, you're not a bad tackler. And then he went through my weak points, you know, you die with the ball need to work on your kicking. We need to work on more variation on tech. So I had more weak points than I had strong points. And him and I became a bond. He was uh, seven years older than me, but we were a bond. We became, we became like brothers. You know, he, he's like one of the Mort brothers. I mean, that, that's how close I was to Ian. He's, he's like one of, one of our family and I miss him terribly. He's left us several years ago, but what type of guy? He was a very serious guy. He was a highly strong guy and he was a perfectionist. You, you, you had to understand Ian, you know, he would, he would, he, and he wanted to win at all costs. A lot like Nas Buerta. Nas Buerta is the same thing. People can say what they like, but one thing about Nas, he used to say, give me the ball and I'll win you the game. And the same thing with Ian Robertson. He'd run into the pack of forwards and he'd say, you guys are messing around, yeah? In not such nice words, but you guys are messing around, yeah? Just give me the ball, Okay. And I'll, and I'll take him. Then Ian would guide them down there, whatever, drop kick, yeah, that, and he could take control of a game. So he's, 
rugby day brain was phenomenal, as, as Brian Murphy was too. Brian Murphy at number eight, uh, there's no doubt that man should have been a, a springbok. But Rich, as I said, you know, Ian yeah. was an incredible player. I think you got all of that. Um, he goes down as probably, he's, he's not probably, he goes down as definitely the greatest rugby player that uh, Zimbabwe has ever produced. There's no doubt about it. He was, uh, you know, he, any, any ball, any sport, ball sport he touched, he was phenomenal. He could play any sport, tennis, loved his golf, cricket, everything. So um, he played a big role in my success. He played a big role in my uh, determination and dedication and uh, fitness levels to get where I wanted to get. Um, he played a huge role in, in, in that. And fortunate enough, I was so dedicated and I was so eager and so determined to try and be the best, get the best out of what, what I was given uh, when I was born with my fitness and strength and anything. I just wanted to get the very best out of it. Um, you know, the rest is history. Uh, I went down to trials. At 78, I got picked for trials, Rich, to play Springbok trials, which I came down here. Uh, first, I got picked to play for junior. The junior Springbok trials used to be called the Gazelles. I got picked to play for the trials. I got, uh, and I made the team, the Gazelles team, but I, I could not play because I'd hurt my knee. So I could, I'd ended up not playing. Dave Smith also, another great rugby player, Dave Smith, Springbok, incredible rugby player. Um, Dave Smith um, played and I couldn't play because I had this injury. And then in 1979, they had another trials and I never got invited to trials. So this is a good story because I'd lost my way a little bit. And then 1980, they had another Springbok trials. I went down to that trials in Pretoria. It's quite interesting because they, those days they used to pick eight teams from all over the country and one would be called Donnie Craven. And, you know, they'd be called all different, Prof Elof, all the different presidents' names. And you'd arrive there, eight teams, and you'd meet your mates that have coaches, and you'd play three games in the week. So the first day, Monday, you'd play. And after Monday trials, it would be like school. You'd go on the board and two teams would be going home. So now there's six teams left. So you'd go there and you'd shake hands and say cheers to the guys. And so that would go through the week. And if you make it towards the end of the week, it's usually going to be the the A and the B teams. And um, there was a chap, Harry Sonicus, who played for South Africa, number eighth man. He played in the 1974 uh, British Lions uh, versus the Springboks. He played at eighth man. And he also ended up playing scrum off the, the series where Willie John McBride's 74 Lions were actually invincible. They, they, they gave us a, a proper hiding. And now six years later, I remember listening to that 74, just going back. I remember listening in, in, in Harare uh, over the radio, no TV. I remember listening to that 74 Lions and listening to the names of J.J. Williams, J.P.R. Williams, Willie John McBride, Gareth Edwards. And just the names just carried on. Gordon Brown, uh, you know, Mighty Mouse McLaughlin. And, and the names just carried on. And I remember listening to that incredible team. And I was actually loving the Lions because they were such brilliant players. But we couldn't watch it. We could only listen on the radio. And I must have been 16, 17, and then, and then, and then 16, 17 then. And six years later, I'm actually, you know, get picked, uh, go to the trials, and I get picked to play for Springbok. And I remember I was rooming with a chap called Don Duplessis, who's also a Springbok. He was a front row, played for Northern Transvaal, Captain Northern Transvaal. He's an orthopedic surgeon. Um, especially in the, in the knees. Everybody knows Don Duke in Pretoria. 
and we were sitting in the room there and I couldn't understand Afrikaans and we waited in the, in the select, there used to be seven selectors from all over the country. So all these selectors would be pushing for their players if they're from Free State, Northern Transvaal, Natal, Western Province, you know, there's no selector from, from, from our country, from Zim. Anyway, um, Kerry Sonicus came to me and he said to me, the selectors have spoken to me. He was like a senior guy then. He wasn't going to make the box side. He said, I've told them there's only one in here. Just play well today. That was before the last trial. He said, play well today. You're going to make it. Mm. Anyway, I listened to him and I played my heart out. And um, what happened, Rich, is, you, as I said, I was in my room waiting all night. And then this Afrikaans radio came on. And all in Afrikaans, and they, they named the names out. And I heard, all I heard is I heard Raymond. And I tell you, it's, it's one of the most incredible feelings in the world because in our day was an amateur. It was amateur, you know, and um, I would have given 10 million rand to play. You know what I mean? That money, I didn't, there was no money. The game's changed today for a good reason and it's different. But, you know, we didn't understand. Finance was nothing. It was to get that green and gold jersey. Uh, it was incredibly hard and it was, it was a very, very proud moment. And I couldn't believe that. You know, and I got picked in 1980. And that year we played against Hugo Porto South Americans. We played against France. And then, of course, we played against the British Lions. So we had 10 tests in, just in that 1980 year. And one of the greatest captains, if not the greatest captain South Africa's ever had, Mornay Duplessis, was my captain. And we went on a tour to South America. We went and played Uruguay, Paraguay. And then we ended up playing South America, playing a test over there as well which is on YouTube. And then Mornay retired. And, you know, 1981 came. And um, in, that, in that time, I was still living in Harare. And so for me to continue playing for South Africa, I had to now make a decision. I had to leave because we were no longer part of the uh, system in South Africa. Because Rhodesia, as a country, used to be part of the Curry Cup system here. So we were part of the Curry Cup, but because of independence, everything, they said no more South Africa. So for me being, uh, I was already a Springbok from Rhodesia, I had to come down here. And that's where I ended up coming down to Transvaal, playing for Wanderers first with some of my mates. Chris Rogers was down here. We all know Chris Rogers, also Springbok hooker, great, great player. And um, so I played a season and a half here. And then I went on the 1981 tour. And then... Um, after that 1981 tour, I ended up, uh, I think in 1983, uh, I met Kitch Christie. He was coaching Harlequins Rugby Club. Kitch Christie, the great Springbok coach, 95 World Cup winner. Him and I became very good friends, but I first played for him for Harlequins. And I left Transvaal. And of course, Ian Robertson also told me, he said, don't stay in Transvaal. Go and play for Northern Transvaal. Transvaal is a bit of a mess. The rugby and the politics that was going on at that time. And he said, go and go down to Northern Transvaal. But he said, I want to warn you, when you go there, you're going to have to play because many times Springboks have gone to play in, in the Carlton League and, they, don't, and they, never get, they never get picked for Northern Transvaal. They were Springboks, but they can't make the, the, the Blue Bull side. So, so that was a challenge. Uh, I went to play for Harlequins and Kitch Christie, before the first practice, he said, you, you come down at uh, a time we're having trials tonight. He called me to his house and he quietly said, look, I'd like to let you know that on Saturday, you're not going to be playing first team, even though you're a Springbok. You won't be playing first team, Harlequins. You'll be playing the second team, but tonight's trials, and I have to tell you, these players are going to go for you. So be prepared. 
I just wanted to warn you quietly. That's how Kitch was. Quite a serious guy, very serious. So I went down and I played in the cold, like this cold winter, and I played really well. You know, I was ready. I was ready. And I played really well. And, and uh, the players shouted to Kitch. They said to him in Afrikaans, he out his wrath. This, this Englishman is okay. He's okay. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, and that's what happened there. And that's where my career started there and with um, Northern Transvaal. Uh, and it was it, it was a lovely career and it was nice. I played with some great players like Berger Geldenhuis, Nas Boerte, Louis Mulman, Johan Yenis, you know, some, some memorable guys. Uh, Tace Lawrence, who's a legend there. I think I played one or two games with him before he retired because he's quite a bit older. He was one of the great legends there. But... It was nice. It was a it was a, it was a great experience. Again, for those of you that were, were maybe a little bit confused by the terminology, by the names, uh, obviously Transvaal being the Lions and Northern yes. Transvaal now being the Bulls. So you cross, you cross that divide. And uh, before we get on to the Lions series and the 1981 Springbok tour of the States and New Zealand. I'd like to just ask you, Ray, you, you made your debut for the Springboks in 1980, where you played 18 tests. You scored 12 tries between 80 and 84. There's an awful lot of highlights. We'll get to the, the New Zealand tour, like I mentioned. But what, what really stands out for you, Ray? Yeah, you know, what was nice to say is that, you know, the two little tours that I went on, because we were playing in apartheid days, those days, so nobody wanted to tour here. We couldn't go to anyone's country, really. Um, as we know, the 81 tour was a thing. So it, it, it was difficult. It was a pity we weren't allowed to go to all these countries and play. But I suppose we're part of the change in this world today, where we are today, for the better um, of, of the country and the people and everything like that. In 1984, the Springboks embarked on a tour of the United States as well as New Zealand. You spent over two months in New Zealand playing numerous representative sides and ultimately you guys played in a three-match test series. And it, it'll probably go down as one of the more controversial tours that have ever taken place. Um, because as you mentioned, it took place in what was a very turbulent time in South Africa which led to, let's just say, a hostile reception from some of the New Zealand community. And the touring squad included the likes of Chasey Pinar. I hope my Afrikaans pronunciation is up to standard. Chasey Pinar, Nas Boerter, Dani Gerber. And going into the third test match, you guys were tied at one apiece. And unfortunately, in that third test match, you guys came up short, losing 25 to 22. However, you scored a hat-trick against the All Blacks that day, the first ever Springbok to do so, and only one man has done it since, Marius Joubert. What do you recall, Ray, about the, the tour itself, the Test Series, and obviously, more importantly, your hat-trick? It's a very nice question. You know, let me first put it this way. Being young, you know, we didn't understand the politics. We just wanted to play rugby. So if you told me, come and play on the dirt road or a dirt field, we would have played. So, you know, when you look at the, the ultimate, the ultimate those days was to play the All Blacks. I mean, when you look at the, a guy like Michael Jones, who's a legend in, in, in world rugby for New Zealand, when he came here in 92, things opened up for South Africa again. He got off the, the airplane and he knelt down and he kissed the tar. And he said, 
this is how much he said, I've been playing South Africa since a little boy in my backyard with my brothers. I'm now eventually here. That's what uh -huh. it was meant to him. Same, same thing with Zinz and Brook. You know, it, it's, it's a huge thing to play against each other. So that was lovely. The, the tour was marred by, we arrived, we, had to, we, we couldn't land in Australia. They wouldn't allow us to land in Australia. We had to land fly through America and then then across to New Zealand and we landed there and as soon as we landed there there was protesters at the airport we got into another little airplane and we went off to Brisbane to play our first game the first game we had there um, they threw little nails taxes on the field and they got so they had to sort that out to try and stop it um, so they were the the the, the, Petorches, the protesters were very organized at night wherever we stayed the lodges they would come at night in the freezing cold because it was winter and it was a very wet tour. And the fields were not like today where they drain and they look good. The fields were soft and muddy and wet and, you know, soggy. And um, they would come at night and hit pans and make a noise all night to try and disturb us from not sleeping. And then the second game, we, we, we were going to play against Hamilton. Okay, in Hamilton. It's very much a university uh, city and everything like that. And I remember being in the change rooms, little change rooms, not like today either. And I thought it was going to be my first game on tour. And uh, the ref would come in and tell us 10 minutes, 10 minutes coming in and I'd be running up and down. And Louis Mulman would be sitting there. And each time 10 minutes, Louis Mulman never really warmed up. He just got up and swung his arms around. Eventually he told me, listen, don't run past you. Because he was looking at the ground and he saw me coming past. He said, you're making me tired. You're watching you. Just <laughs> go over there. Anyhow, eventually that, that game never went on. We had to rush out of the out of the um, the change rooms into the bus and back to the hotel uh, because there was a guy in an airplane who, who said if the game goes on, he's going to dive bomb into the stadium. So we went back to the hotel and that's when the New Zealand government in the, in the next 24, 48 hours made a decision, tour on or tour off. So we were sitting there and they decided the tour goes on. So the tour went on. All the main cities. The first, uh, the first game was in Christchurch. None of the none of the hotels in Christchurch or the staff or anyone would take us. So we had to stay in squash courts. So we went to a little clubhouse. They put stretchers in two squash courts, forwards and ones there. Stretchers. They had ladies doing our catering, and there's a rugby field so we could train. Eight o'clock in the morning before the game that starts at two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon. We had to go quickly in the morning early to the ground. So we could get in there so the Petorchas wouldn't have any roadblocks and stop us. So that was the, it wasn't the greatest build-up. So that was the build-up, the first test, which we lost 16-9. And then the second test was Wellington. We stayed under the ground in Wellington where uh, Nas was absolutely brilliant. We beat them quite convincingly. Uh, also a very wet, muddy test. And if you look at the game and you look at Nas, his pants were still white at the end of the game. Quite crazy. <laughs> but he, 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 I think he scored, Gerry Kermesay scored one incredible try and Nas, Nas did the rest. Um, he was a genius. Um, I think we won 24-12 or something like that. But we basically ran out, Rich. We basically ran out from our bedside where we're sleeping, basically onto the field. And, and the third test was um, in Auckland, where I scored my three tries. Same thing, stayed under the stadium. And um, yeah, just had a little thing. We had a very powerful side. I mean, I remember Doc Craven saying to us uh, before he left that uh, this is uh, probably the, the strongest side he's ever assembled in his time to send overseas. That's how strong that side was. 
Um, you know, you had the likes of, as we said, we had the likes of Tian Stoffberg. We had a, a Louis Mulman. We had Henny Becker. We had Hippies to Toy, Oki Ustays. And, um, you know, we had um, uh, Rob Lowe, Burger Geldnes. We had some Vainon Klaas and our captain, Devon Surfentain, Carl Duplessis, Kerry Gomez. And so I can carry on. Colin Beck, some big names, Casey Pino. So we had some really uh, top-class um, players, Vili Duplessis. Uh, Carl's brother was there too. Uh, we never lost a provincial game through the whole tour, which was amazing. There was a bit of a controversial game when we played the New Zealand Maoris. This is very interesting. So that game, we ended up drawing that game. It was 12 all and Colin Beck was playing fly off and there was a, there was a controversial in the drop kick that he took. Anyhow, the ref put it over and 25 years later we had a reu reunion and the captain of the Maori team at that time was Billy Bush. So Billy Bush came back out to South Africa 25 years later after the tour. And what happens, Rich, there's a, there's a thing called we take a springbok head and that springbok head, any team, not, not test match, but any provincial team that beats you first on tour you give it to that club. Like if Wellington beat us, then they would keep the Springbok head if they could put it in their clubhouse. And we, we brought the Springbok head home because no one beat us. <laughs> so, so, so it's quite nice. It's just a tradition. And anyway, so 25 years later, Billy, Billy Bush came out and that game was drawn. And Vainan Klaassen, Billy came out as a guest with his wife and everything. And, 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 and we had a big dinner there and Vainan was up on the stand and he was talking and he said, Billy, please come up here. And Billy came up and he was our guest speaker. He said, Billy, um, we owe you something. And he said, what? And he pulled out the springbok head and he said, this belongs to you. The same head 25 years later. He said, wow. this belongs to you. This belongs to the Maori people. He said, what do you mean? He said, no, that drop kick never, ever went over. And Billy, and Billy Bush, being so emotional, he started to cry. He basically took the head home. He had to take the head two weeks in quarantine, but he took it home to the Maori people. We said, this belongs to you people. You actually beat us that day. And that was 25 years. Just a lovely story, but it just shows you how much the, you know, the rugby means. But the test series, the last test, it was amazing. You know, I mean, um, we were 16-3 down in the first half in the last test, Auckland. One, it was one each in the series. We were 16-3 down, and we went out there and we started to, we started to operate. And yeah, lucky enough, I, you know, every try I score, it comes from the inside. It's not me doing it. It's people giving me the ball and I'm finishing it off, which is lovely. That's my job. And um, it's a pity. It's a, it would have been nice if it ended on a 22-all draw. I thought I felt that, you know, I felt that if you look at our side and their side, we were a better side than they were, uh, but we didn't win. You know, the, the score is the score. Um, Clive Norley, that referee, that Welsh referee, we're still looking for him. I don't know if he's still alive. <laughs> but, but we're still looking for him because I think... He, he might be in the squash court. Yeah, he's still, you know, any of what happened there. But what was... And I always tell this to people is that we, we lost that series. And, and yes, I scored three tries, but I've got a record that I don't think anyone will ever break where you score three tries for the Springboks and lose a test. That's not such a like a record. <laughs> so you've got to look at it both ways. But I was very honored and very privileged. And uh, it's an incredible feeling 
to play for the South Africa. I, it's it's one of the greatest things out, you know. And I, I was the guy who had no concentration at school, but when I went onto a rugby field, my concentration levels were at another level. My mind was at another level. Like people said, did you ever see the crowd? I could hear the crowd, but I never saw them. I only focused on that four lines before the in, in, inside the field because it meant everything to me at that time in my life. Rugby was everything. So it, it was it was a it was a lovely tour. Losing the series was not a good thing. And I remember and I always tell the story because Kitch Christie, him and I went and coached Transvaal, and they hadn't won the Curry Cup for 20 years. And we had got into the final. We had that great start. Francois Pino was before he was a Springbok, we had the Francois Pino, Ian McDonald, Peter Hendricks, all these names that became Springboks, Barley Swart, Quivers Visa, we can carry on, Hannes Stratum. Anyhow, we um Johan Roo. And we went down to Durban to play against Gary Teichman. Val Bartman was captain of that Natal side. Ian Mack was coaching. Um, Ian Mack or Harry Fullion, I'm not sure. Anyway, we went down there because Ian Mack might have been coaching the, uh, the box side there. Um, one of our great coaches, Mackie. Uh, anyhow, then we went down there and, and Kitch came to me. And he said to me on the Saturday morning before we play on the afternoon, do you have a story to tell these guys? Just something. So I said, yeah, I've got a story. So we, we, we flew down on the Saturday morning. We let, we always liked the players to sleep in their own beds. We flew down one hour. We flew from Joburg to Durban in the morning. Um, and then just before we go to the game, Uli Schmidt called all the guys in and then kids. And then I said to the guys, kids said, will you speak to them? I said, yeah. I said, guys, 1981. I rem you remember that test? They all said, yeah. I said, 1981, we lost that test. And I said, when we came off the field, I saw grown men in tears in our team uh, saying, only if I'd made the tackle, only if I had supported you, only if I'd done that. Don't leave any only ifs today. Come off that field and say, you've given everything. And if we get beaten, we've got beaten by a better team. No only ifs. And the rest is history. We, we we won the Curry Cup for the first time in 20 years for Transvaal. And it was an amazing side that we had. And 13 of those players became Springboks. And like you mentioned, you notably coached Transvaal to Curry Cup glory. And you were also part of the coaching side that coached um, what was then Transvaal, now the Lions, to Super 10 glory. So... This was this was in 1993, and that was the inaugural Super Rugby competition, which which uh, the Lions won. Yeah. And yeah, were... I was I was yeah, I was assistant coach to Kitch then, and then I became coach after Kitch left, which we won the Curry Cup in Bloemfontein, and we made the Super Ten final, but we lost to the Reds, Queensland Reds. But um, yeah, and the Kitch Kitch had gone off to the Springbok coaching and. Um, yeah, 1993, when we won the Super 10, the first Super 10, um, we beat the, um, the Sean Fitzpatrick, the great Auckland side, the, the, the great Zinza and Brook and all these great yes. players in that yes. side. We managed to beat them at Ellis Park and we beat them well. And it, it, was, a, it, was, a, it was a great victory. And, and you know what's nice? If you, if you listen to that interview after the game, you know, um, uh, Sean Fitzpatrick, you know, when they asked him, you know, what and he had no excuses. He said, no, we were beaten by the better team. He didn't make any excuses, you know. And um, sometimes some of the calls and the refs calls and the linesman calls don't go your way. And today, 
you know, today you have a TMO and there's everything going on and they're watching everything a little bit like soccer and, uh, you know, like this last test that we lost to the Lions. We need to now focus on the next test. Don't, don't live on what could have happened and this was wrong and that was wrong, you know. And, you know, you mentioned that uh, Kids Christie was a good friend of yours and after your playing career, you, you got involved into coaching and you were pretty pretty decent at it, winning some illustrious titles, the Curry Cup, Super Rugby. And in 1995, South Africa was united by the Springboks' triumph over the All Blacks in the World Cup final. The tournament, which culminated in Nelson Mandela handing over the trophy to your good friend, Francois Pina, and it is arguably one of the greatest stories in the history of international sport. And you were a massive part of the coaching staff in the engine room that led the box to glory. So in essence, Ray, you've, you've played a massive part in, in rugby history. What was, your, what was your role in that particular um, 1995 side? Well, Richard, interesting to say it was Henny Becker, Kitch Christie, um, Henny Becker, and Casey Pino. Um, I, I, I couldn't uh, coach because I'd played professional rugby professional rugby, rugby league, and at that time playing professional rugby was kind of the worst thing you could do. Uh, so they wouldn't, they'd let me coach here provincially, but they wouldn't let me be coach internationally. Uh, I, I played a, a small role, uh, well, I would say pre, pre-season. I mean, the, the landmark or the, the, the mark of the fitness and the conditioning and the skills of the players, the line players went into the, I had a big role, probably a big role in playing that because I just wanted mm-hmm. the guys I used to work them. I used to work them so hard, but I used to work them with the ball in hand. So when they fatigued, they'd make that right pass. So all my fitness, they wouldn't even know they're getting fit, you know. And, and I used to say to them, guys, what I give you on the what I give you on the field, Joe, and what I'm giving you today, you will never get on the field. You will never feel this on the field. So don't ever be scared that you're going to run out of gas, because how do you measure fitness? You measure fitness of, of how quick you recover. You're always going to get tired, but how quick you're ready to go again. When you come back, you stop. Your heartbeat goes down. Yeah, I'm ready to go again. That's how you measure fitness. And I say to them, you're never going to get this. You're never going to get this on the field. So don't ever be scared in that field. You just keep going, you know. And and at that time, all the teams are on a par now. But at that time, you know, Kitch, I was his assistant. And he used to send a message down, pick up the tempo. Last 15 minutes of the game, we used to score two, three tries, pick up the tempo. So we would just say... Just, just got to keep that temper. And the guys had the fitness and the, the skills, and uh, you know, and that's the way it's got to be done today. You got to, you know, you got to, you got to make sure that um, conditioning is a big factor in rugby today. And um, you know, all the the, the the tight five always have to do their power and strength work, but they also got to have muscle stamina because you've got to run around the field and you've got to make things happen. So you've got to have a balance of both. And then um, your loose forwards and your backs as much as they must be strong. Look, today it allows bigger and bigger backs to, to play in the midfield because defence spreads out. In our day, it wasn't quite like that. Your whole pack would, both packs would migrate to the breakdown. So the backs had more room to, to move in and to score tries. But you also had a lot more room that you had to defend, which was also difficult. So it works both ways. But the game has changed a lot today. The game has taken a lot out of rugby league where they defend their rugby league technique tackles like rugby league, the way they kick a ball like rugby league. A lot of their passing is rugby league. So unions taken a lot from league. And, uh, 
you know, and it, you know, the game is it's, it's exciting. There's a lot more movement. There's a lot more continuity. Uh, some games can be boring. I mean, if I watched this last British Lions and South African game, it, there was no quality in in rugby in the first half. You know, I know, I know we. We, we want to play this kicking game and, and up and down and everything. And I know we want to win tests and we won the World Cup and uh, brilliant, brilliant coaching staff with Russi and the guys winning the World Cup and everything like that. But um, I think this two years of not playing has really taken a lot out of the players for this series. And, uh, you know, if we had played New Zealand and Australia and uh, Argentina like we usually do in the Four Nations, we would be far better prepared. So it's, it's, it's kind of tough on South Africa, but um, we are capable of performing a lot better than we did uh, in the first test. Sure, right. And, you know, you, you were involved in the game from an early early stage in, in Zimbabwe at, uh, you know, playing for, for Sports Club, for Rhodesia, for Transvaal, Northern Transvaal, and obviously the Springboks. And, You've had an illustrious, legendary career, both as a player and a coach. And before we move on to some quickfire questions, what what will you be up to over the next sort of year or so after you've uh, you've watched the next two Bok Lions Test matches? Ah, uh, you know, Rich, I'm 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 64 now. You know, I might I I won't get involved in rugby again. Um, I, I don't kind of have the passion and, and the problem is that if I got involved in rugby, I give too much. I, I, <laughs> I expect too much. That's why I won't coach school teams either because I'll, I'll, I want them out there every day of the week because I want, to, I, want to, I want perfection as well and I don't want to put that pressure on anyone but um, it takes a lot out of you. Coaching is not, not an easy job. Uh, it can be satisfying. Uh, but for me, um, I'm just going to continue with my businesses. Uh, you know, I've got a. I've been very fortunate and very lucky that I've got good people in my life, in my business, uh, that I've put into positions. I always say that I've put smarter people in positions in my company, which allows me to have a certain lifestyle. And, and they really are smart. And they really are good. And uh, yeah, we all uh, play a large part, and we share everything we got. Um, we got a. We got a we got a nice structure overall and everything. And then my new ventures is, um, you know, I've got the nice restaurant, the Roundhouse in Cape Town. Uh, it's beautiful in summer. It's really a beautiful place. When you're there, if you come out here, I'll stick you for a couple of meals and a beer. Um, right. and, and, then, and, then, and then I've also taken over a site at the waterfront. Uh, it's going to be called Kabul, Kabul Beach. It's going to be international. It's going to be child-friendly, dog-friendly. And also, we're going to have a lot of big events there because it's a place that you have big events. Um, yeah, and I, I just keep fit, keep my training going. Maintenance, I call it maintenance. I love it. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I love my golf. I wish I, I used to be a bit better than I was now. You know, that's, that's basically what I'm doing now, Rich. So um, focusing on my work, focusing on, 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 on enjoying life as well. You know, I mean, I've got three beautiful daughters. I've got my ex-wife's a lovely lady too, and we're still good friends. Um, yeah, so you know, uh, family. Family's a big thing as well. As you get older, family's a big thing, and I think um, you know, I don't mind mentioning that this uh, COVID has taken quite a lot of people that I know, friends of mine that I've worked with, that have been my colleagues. Um, 
guys that would visit me every second day, they're gone. That, uh, you know, in one week, my, uh, the, 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 you know, the funerals I'm going to, to a great rugby player, great legend of transport rugby, Tito Lupini, uh, Italian, lovely guy. I mean, a giant of a man, giant of a character. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, it makes you think and brings a lot of things together. And, and sport has been an amazing thing. Sport, it's amazing how... Nelson Mandela, I mean, what an amazing man, you know, when he said how much sport can bring, bring, bring nations and people together, and it does. Uh, it does. It's, a, it's a wonderful thing. We need to learn from it. And I always say to people, what happened in history is history. We need to learn from history and improve and go forward. Don't live in the past. Let's live for the future and learn from the past. Certainly sounds like you've you've um, got a lot on at the moment, but you've you're finding the right balance. It's it sounds like, and and Ray, just to kind of round off the interview, um, I'm just going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions, um, yeah. Just to just to close off, along with baseball, Ray, you say that sport is obviously very important, and and you're you're quite right, particularly in COVID times. You played. Uh, you played baseball, you played rugby league for Wigan in 86, 87. What other sports do you enjoy outside of rugby? Uh, golf. <laughs> golf okay. is, uh, no, 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 besides that, golf. But I, if, if you ask me what other sports, I love watching all sports. I love it. I've, even, I've been watching Olympics, the weightlifting. I've been watching the hockey. Uh, I've tried to follow the South African sides. I've been, you know, I, I, I love tennis. You know, I watch... I watch all the uh, tennis, especially the, the majors, um, but probably golf. Golf is, uh, I, I love golf. I love watching it. I love playing. It's my happy place. If I'm out on the golf course, I could even be having a bad round, which happens often. I still love just being out there and walking and talking fun. And uh, I have to be honest, Rich, I, I love laughing and having fun and talking <laughs> nonsense. You know, some, uh, some people have it harder than others in life and, um, you know, I've been very fortunate. Uh, some people work hard and they don't get what they want to get, but they must just know if you can keep, if you can have your health, you actually got, you got a lot. Yeah, and I, and I love going to gym. I do my gym, you know, five, six times a week. But if I'm going to go away or play golf, I don't let gym overrule that. You know, you need to, I used to, uh, I used to be that disciplined. Now I have to, if there's a gym there, I'm not going if there's no gym. <laughs> you can't be like that anymore. And um, yeah, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm quite disciplined with my eating, but if I go out for dinner with you and we have a few beers, I'll eat ice cream, I'll eat some, you know, I'm, I'm quite relaxed. Yeah. You know? And Ray, you mentioned a little bit there, you, you enjoy life and, and you're a fun-loving guy. Teachers at Churchill, how would, how would they describe you? <laughs> They'd probably describe me and say, uh, they'd probably say, look, uh, Ray, Ray Mort, uh academically, never focused, wasn't concentrating, <laughs> <laughs> disturbed, the, disturbed the whole class. And then Ray Mort outside the class, yeah, he's the kind of guy we would want to be with, you know, playing sport, running around, uh, taking leadership. I was a house prefect, by the way, but that's, you know, I was, in a, I was a house prefect uh, in Wakeford. But, um, yeah, look, uh, you know, the, the thing is, in our day, they never had a thing called Ritalin. You know, Ritalin, they give all the kids these days, which is probably a good thing. They never had it in our days. But my concentration level was, I was always staring outside and daydreaming and, and then that. But, um, 
Yeah, I was, I was probably a naughty little bugger, but yeah, you know, I wasn't a bad bugger. I just, I just love being outdoors. I love being outdoors uh, more than anything. I was a, not a great scholar. <laughs> and uh, Ray, my, my last question to you will we'll end on a, on a rugby note. You played in the 1980 Lions series where the Springboks won 3-1 and you played alongside fellow Zimbabwean David Smith. What is your upcoming prediction for the remainder of this current series? Yeah, it was an absolute privilege, actually, just to say playing with David Smith. What, what a great player. And I think it's, it's, it's great to mention it. The guy was a great player. He would have gone on to play a lot more games for South Africa, but he decided to retire after having concussion. So he only, I think he only played in those four tests against the Lions. But what a lovely guy, David. And every now and then we do have a chat, but that was a top-class player. My predictions? I'm hoping, Rich, that we win this week. It's going to be a hard thing, but I think the Lions have an edge on us uh, because they've played the, the, the Six Nations. Uh, you know, they've, 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 they've handled COVID before we have, you know, being a first world country, things have happened there, but longer so they've continued with a lot of their rugby. So um, this test is a major test. South Africa have to win to take it to the end. But I think it could be 2-1 uh, to the Lions. Okay. Oh, I, I wasn't sure what you were going to end up with there, but... Um... No, it, it could be. Look, I, I want the Springboks to win, and I think it's important to tell you that I passionately want the Springboks to win. But I think maybe we're a little bit underdone, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and I have to say this, I'm usually wrong. So let's hope <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> I usually make a prediction, and I'm usually always wrong, so that's fine. Let's hope that the, the box can turn it round, Ray. Um, oh, you know, Richard, right now, right now in this time and what our country's gone through and, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago with the looting and everything that's happened and the uproar and the sickness and the people passing and the COVID. And I know it's happened in all countries, but we've gone through a hard time. And, and, and the big thing is the people. People are suffering. People are really suffering. And uh, you can see it when you drive the streets and the robots and, it's very, very sad. It's very, very sad. And uh, um, we all try and do our bit to help and everything like that. Um, and, and I think that's why it's possible, you know, if the box, we need, we need something. We need just something, some happiness, some glory, something to just uplift the, the whole country. Hopefully the box can do it. Yes. So, South Africa have notoriously done that in the past in 95. How can we forget and indeed, in 2019, winning the World Cup. So I won't be too shocked, Ray, if, if they can pull it round and, and win the series 2-1. But Ray, I just want to thank you. You're, a, you're an absolute legend of the game of rugby in Zimbabwe, as well as um, more notoriously in South Africa, and a great servant of the game of rugby for the Springboks on and off the field. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, hearing your account, your tales of how it all unfolded for you. And thank you so much. And I, I hope that you certainly enjoy a lot of time on the golf course with friends, family, and of course, a couple of beers. Thank you so much, Ray. Richard, thank you. It's absolutely been a pleasure for me too.